You're listening to What's the Difference podcast, an audio and video series on living with visible and visible disabilities, created and hosted by Jackie Rosen and co-hosted by Sarah Patel. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at podcast WTD, or connect with us via email at what's the difference podcast at gmail.com. Welcome to another episode of What's the Difference podcast. Today, our discussion is going to be about the portrayal of people with visible and invisible disabilities in film and television. We have Sam here from our regular panel today. Hi, Sam. Hey, everybody. And we have a special guest, Emily Spooley, who is part of the industry herself. So, Emily, first, let's hear a little bit about you and um, and some of your thoughts on the industry as it is right now. It's uh, lovely to meet everyone. I'm a Toronto-based, queer, and invisibly disabled actor and filmmaker. Uh, I have many thoughts on the industry. Some are more positive than others. I think we're at a point where we are starting to finally get more authentic rep, but I still think that it's something that has a really, really long way to go in terms of actually reaching like equity, parity, getting enough bodies and people and stories on screen that actually have lived experience outside of being cis, white, able-bodied, straight men. So. Now, I was going to ask you, um, and this is this is going off script a little bit, but do you think that there's a significant difference between uh, people employed in the industry versus what we see on camera when it, in terms of invisible and visible disabilities? I think we're starting to see more rep behind the scenes, but I think it's still also moving at a very, very slow rate. Something that I'm, I'm aware of is that a lot of companies are hesitant to kind of put the extra dollars in up front to hire people that are just disabled, which I think is BS. But I, I think now that like there's some perceptions that are starting to shift where I think people are realizing that it's necessary and that essentially that they should be doing it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think like, I don't think I have exact percentages that I can comment on right now. But I, I think, yeah, like there is starting to be an awareness of we need to hire and we need to be open to hiring disabled. We need to be able to accommodate our practices to include more disabled rep in front of and behind the camera. Okay. Okay. Question for both of you. Um, have you observed any characters in TV or film with your specific disability? And if so, were they played by an actor who had that disability or did they hire a fully able-bodied person to play the role? So Emily, if you want to go first. Sure. Um, Yeah. So for myself, among my disabilities are things like chronic pain. Um, I'm also neurodiverse. So ADHD, PTSD, anxiety. I think a lot of what we see are still able-bodied actors playing the roles. Whereas I do think some of them may also have lived experiences, but they may or may not be as open about talking about it. So for example, uh, one of my go-tos that I always love to talk about is Iron Man 3, is a beautiful, perfect study in PTSD. And I think just with all the shit that Robert Downey Jr. has lived through, he probably has a lot to bring to the role. But I also don't think that he's incredibly open these days about his mental health in interviews. So even though he might kind of identify that way, he maybe doesn't comment enough on kind of like the authentic rep of it, if that makes sense. Uh, Sam, what about you? I definitely can think of a few examples. Uh, Daredevil, um, Blind Alan, Deadpool. Um, there's also, I forget the name of the character, but there's also a character in Fantastic Four. 
the woman who ends up being the love interest for, oh God, what's he called? The the thing or it or the big rock guy. Um, so pretty sure that's the thing. Yes, I think yeah. so. I haven't seen that one in a while. Um, but yeah, and as far as I know, they're all able-bodied people. Um, and what I find even more interesting is that I feel like I can't relate to some of them, like none of them kind of look like me as well. So I'm like, I don't know. It's very hard for me to kind of relate to them. Um, and a lot of them are portrayed as being fully blind, which is so strange because that's actually like 10 to 15% of the blind and low vision community. A lot of us have some vision or some like usable sight. Uh, whereas quite often in media, we're portrayed as having no sight, like complete darkness or complete blackness and very, very little to go on, which is just such, it's not that it doesn't exist. It's just weird that that's the largest um, one that's, you know, shown in media. And it's actually a very tiny portion of the the population. Or it might skew yeah. stereotypical where you're like, it's, everybody has the white cane all the time. Exactly. And they, and they do these like very stereotypical things. Like I want to feel your face. And they're, they're almost portrayed as either being very low class and low income and almost like helpless, but, or they're portrayed as like these heroes and these wise, like beyond, I have like vision beyond my sight, blah, blah, blah. Like it's sort of one or the other, which I think is how the able body community views the blind community community as either these heroes, these people that, you know, go out, do public speaking, do all of these amazing things, achieve these like amazing goals, or we're just this burden on society. There's no in between. There's like this pressure to be a superhero or you have to do it all. You have to be this overachiever and have the career and the everything. And if you're not, you're just uh, like seen as this vegetable that is kind of like, you know, roaming around in your basement. Um, and yeah. you know, Sam, something I want to, something I want to add is that um, you only typically see disabilities, which uh, could interest the public. And I'm putting that in quotations because you're not going to see someone in a TV show with a congenital heart defect like I have. Why? It's boring. It's boring. You have to see, they want to show something that's that's visible or actually noticeable. And so why would you even write a, a plot about somebody with a congenital heart defect? Now, our, our viewers and our listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, but I have never seen anything on TV that represents who I am. So that's why I'm asking you guys the questions and not really participating myself because I don't have much to add. I don't see that much about my condition. But um, how does it make both of you feel when a fully able-bodied person or a neurotypical person gets a role where they do play someone with a physical, either visible or invisible disability, or someone who is neurodiverse. Um, how does it make you feel? Emily, I'll ask you first. Sure. Um, I think especially in the way of neurodiversity, it it's almost a little insulting in a way, I'm going to say, because there are so many very talented neurodiverse actors out there who, if you gave them half a chance, they would do equally as well in this role. But I think a lot of and what we have historically seen is that casting is still going to send in, you know, like the thin, the pretty, able-bodied people. And then they they often, I hate to use this term, but kind of ugly them up in, in one way or another to, to like have them play somebody with a disability. And especially for that, like, yeah, like I honestly think that's really insulting and it's really, it's really friggin' ableist. 
And like, in terms of things that kind of skew more physical, you know, I still think that they should be casting authentically whenever possible. There's one movie that comes to mind. I think it's 2014 it was from. It's called Margarita with a Straw. And it's about a woman with cerebral palsy. As far as I know, the director had tried to find an actor that did actually have the condition. But like, because of the grueling shooting days, because of like needing to do certain movements over and over that would be required on set, I think she did end up casting somebody who was able-bodied but did do a lot of research. Um, even in that case, you know, I do think that there are ways to adapt a shooting cycle or to like adapt your production period to be able to accommodate, once again, like we talked about hiring a disabled actor. It is, it is kind of that catch-22 where I understand why someone might hire an able-bodied actor even for something like that. But I also don't think that needs to be the only way forward. I think there are room, like there is room to adapt essentially the filmmaking practice to include casting diversely. And right now, I, th I think it's also something that we really, really need to, and we need to push more of, like until we're at parity, where at least 50% of people with XYZ are playing those roles. So like, it's the same thing with the LGBT rap. It's the same thing with trans rap. Like a lot of these roles still go to people that have the privilege. So that are cis, are straight, are not trans. Oh, I th I, like I said, I think it's slowly changing, but not not nearly fast enough. And for people with disabilities, especially for people with physical disabilities, it does cost more. It's more of an investment and people don't want to spend the money. And you see that with with businesses outside of the industry as well. Uh, but um, Sam, what about um, what about you? It's honestly quite frustrating. Um, I think with any disability, it's frustrating when you see someone who is completely able-bodied, who doesn't have any of that experience at all um, playing that role. However, I do think there is a happy balance. I think if you can't have someone playing the role who is disabled or living with whatever challenges are presented in that role, it's you at least want to see that there was some thought put into it. You want to know that there was research. Maybe they have like a counsel or someone advising that actor on, hey, these are my lived experiences. I'm not a performer, but can I advise you in some way so that this role is authentic as possible? Um, so I, I think there's a, a fine balance. Um, I think right now people are pushing for it so much because we've never had it at all. It's just always been the able-bodied person and never the person with the disability. So, and I also, what I kind of want to relate it to is the regular working world. You know, you don't want to not get a job because of your disability, but the other end of the spectrum, you don't want to just get a job because of your disability. And I think with these rules, it's the same. You, you know, don't want to be discriminated against and told no to an opportunity because of your disability, but you also don't want to like, just be given an opportunity that you're not qualified for because of your disability, because you could potentially be taking it away from someone who does have a disability, who is qualified. Like I know there's tons of actors out there who are blind and low vision or who are deaf or who are living with dyslexia. And as cool as I think it is that, you know, some, some places want to cast a blind or low vision or disabled actor I sometimes hesitate because that's not my, I, I personally actually find it really enjoyable and I like to do those kinds of projects on the side. Um, but unfortunately, like 
I wouldn't want to just take it away from somebody who is working towards being an actor or a performer, right? So there's also the just filling it for the sake of filling it is also a challenge that I think we we need to be careful of. Um, but like I said, it's it's a balance. And I think with time as we move forward and people start casting more people with disabilities and seeing you know, how easy it can be to accommodate and cheaper it can be to accommodate. It's always cheaper to add in accessibility features into anything, a program, into a process from day one than it is to go back and do it on day 30 or day 40 or months later. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, yeah, I I think it'll come with time. And I was going to say equal representation does mean hiring the best person for the job. If it means you have to look a little harder and find someone with that disability who's still the best person for the job, that's that's the way to go. Absolutely. So, and and you know, we want that equal representation. Emily, what are some of your favorite portrayals of disability in film and TV, and what has stood out to you? Oh, I, th- I think for one, yeah, going back to Marguerite with the straw that I mentioned, like it just it's a beautiful film, and I think like it, it gives a lot more of an insight into what it is to live with cerebral palsy. Like there's also kind of like a beautiful love story woven through it. So that's one of the reasons I love it. Um, I guess kind of jumping back to the Marvel universe, something Marvel does really, really well is kind of along like the neurodiversity and like kind of mental illness scale. So like thinking like say Jessica Jones, like that's also a really, really good portrayal of kind of PTSD and it, it's sort of the PTSD that a lot of people don't talk about, where, you know, you're not the quiet victim, like, you're loud, you're angry, everything that has harmed you, you're now kind of reflecting back to the world. Um, it, it does kind of wander a little bit into the problematic, just in terms of, you know, like, expecting disabled people to be super somehow, like, like you almost have to be superhuman, supernatural something just to exist so you know that that's a little uh here and there um one I was actually thinking about recently and I I know they've never said it but like going back to the x-files like 90s and 2000s like there's no way Fox Mulder is neurotypical (laughs) like yeah yeah just that level of yeah that level of genius that level of focus even though it's never said in the show, that to me says that's clearly a level of neurodiversity. Well, did you guys watch Big Bang Theory at all? Yeah. So Sheldon Cooper, Sheldon Cooper, definitely never anything said, but he is definitely neurodiverse. I don't know what your thoughts are on that particular character. I I would 100% agree. And Oh, at least with like the way male characters are written, I think that they can skew. Oh, I'm trying to think how to word this. Essentially, it's you don't want them to be allowed to be assholes just because they're neurodiverse, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Sam, what about you? Have you seen like a really good portrayal of somebody like you in in film and TV or or even somebody with a different disability that you thought, oh, that person is really doing a good job of playing their role. Have you ever seen anything like that? I've definitely, I, I do actually also have to say some positive things about Marvel. I do think they, even though like Fantastic Four, like that character was a bit, mm, but 
I'd say Daredevil is a really great one. Um, even though he is portraying a totally blind person, I think he, like, it's also meant to be over the top and fun because he is a superhero. It's, it's media, right? Like it's not real life. So I do think they bring some good aspects into it um, that are done really well. But I also really love In the Dark. I think that's a really great one that I've heard a lot of people talking about in the community lately. I've had a privilege or the privilege of working with them, just like being in like the background and as an extra. Um, but meeting the cast and uh, meeting Perry, who plays the main character, to see how much effort has gone into it. Um, and the fact that they do accommodate blind and low vision, like other characters that actually have vision loss in real life, to see the effort that was made on set, um, I think was really beautiful. And also that they don't focus on the blindness in In the Dark. They That's part of the main character's life, but it's not the, the main focus of the story. They, she has all of these other layers um, and things that she's dealing with. So I think that's really nice to see. Um, as far as other disabilities, that's kind of hard because I can't, I feel like I can't say if it's accurate or not because I'm not that person with this disability. I definitely find it interesting that, um, as far as I know, from what I've seen of Big Bang, they never mention that Sheldon deals with anything. It's just kind of like, oh, that's Sheldon. As far am I right? Do you do you guys yeah, know? Yes, if absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I have some conflicting feelings about that because if you are going to portray somebody like that, you kind of want to say what it is because you want people to like you know that's not just like oh he's weird or he's quirky but also there's some power in that that like it doesn't matter right like I feel like that's another step is that it doesn't matter what it's called or what the label is it's just the people in his life are able to accept him for for who he is and I think that's also a really great angle but is that because he's a male character because as a male character you're allowed to have those those quirks, those things that make you different and maybe a bit of an, you know, an asshole sometimes. Whereas a woman, you're not allowed to have some of those traits. So is there also like, does gender kind of come into a role there? I think um, is something to consider. So yeah, I, I have some conflicting feelings about that one. Well, we yeah. did have in, in Big Bang Theory, we did have Sheldon's girlfriend and later wife, Amy Farrah Fowler, who was also definitely appeared neurodiverse at the beginning or maybe just extremely nerdy. But um, the interesting thing was how their characters did grow at the mm -hmm. end. And they became, yes. they became less caricatures and more uh, people that appeared loving and, and all that. I feel like what you're saying is in real life, disability doesn't change. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's strange that, yes, there's character development, but if it's a disability or if it's something permanent, it it doesn't change. So it, it's kind of weird. It's like, are, are they neurodiverse? Are they just quirky and, like, that's changing? Like, it, it's kind of hard to interpret as the, the audience member. Yeah, I was going to say, I do think with, like, neurodiversity specifically to, like, just essentially you're going to go through times where you may, like, you maybe have, say, like, fewer social skills when you're younger mm -hmm. and it's something that you can you can sort of pick up as you go and it doesn't mean that it's not still an issue but maybe you've either and I know this is especially the case for women like masking with ADHD neurodiversity like women especially that's why like a lot of girls go undiagnosed with ADHD 
because like they learn how to kind of be more social and like fit in to some degree. I say this with air quotes, but just kind of by like mimicking or reflecting the behavior of their peers. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, like they're like less likely to be flagged. Whereas boys, if they are running around kind of like what we think of as like the ADHD stereotype where, you know, they're hyperactive, they can't, can't sit still, can't pay attention in real life, they're more likely to get diagnosis and treatment. And I, I think like a lot of our perception of certain disabilities is because of what we see on screen. Um, an- another movie I'm going to mention really quick because I love it. There's a 20, I think it's 2016 horror movie called Hush. And it's about a deaf oh. woman, a deaf woman surviving an attack, like at a remote cabin in the woods. And like, they do a lot of what I would say would be like appropriate uh, representation, like in terms of things like her fire alarm has a big flashing light, like the way that her texts come in, the way that she interacts with technology, there was clearly a level of care and research. Plus she's just really, really, really badass. And like, <laughs> if you love horror at all, I highly, highly recommend it. It's, and like, it's that like the real person survival kind of feel of horror. So like, there is some, there is some horror, there's lots of tension it's just beautifully done. And I can't fully remember if they had a deaf actress or not. So I can't, I can't comment on that, but at least the on-screen rep was, it seemed fairly accurate, I would say. I totally forgot about that movie, but I love that movie. And I love the end. I don't want to like spoil it for anyone who might be watching this later, but like the, I feel like her, it's, it's empowering. So there, there's definitely some, some, you know, contradicting feelings about the the disability superhero or like survival, like rah, rah, rah is like, it's super empowering to see someone with a disability succeed and and win. But then also it's like, you know, there, there's a pressure to live up to that for people. But yeah, I, I love that movie. It's a great one. So Sam, you touched on a, I don't know if you, it was a film or a TV show where you mentioned that the character's disability wasn't the focal point of the show. Um, so my question to both of you is, do you think that it normalizes the disability when it isn't the focal point of the show and the character just happens to have a disability, but it's not part of the storyline? I think so. I think it does a really good job of just like, I would have killed to just see a character that, that had a disability like mine. And honestly, whether it was the main focal point of the show or not, I'd just be happy to have a role model like that. Um, But yeah, I think seeing that she had all these other layers, you can clearly tell the difference when that's the focus or not, which is funny because a lot of my abled friends watch the show or a lot of like feedback that I, or um, criticism that I think the show gets is like, oh, you know, not all blind people struggle with alcohol and party or do this and this. And it's like, but that's the point. She's not all blind people. She's an individual with this variety of experiences. And that's just one part of it. We're, we're making her not a typical like Hollywood character that we've seen over and over and over again. So I, I think it really does normalize it. I think it does a lot. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I think it does a lot. Emily. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. It does normalize it. Um, the, my one sort of, I guess, like flag or concern, I would say is that you also want to make sure that it is accurate to somebody's experience. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that comes with either having like authentic lived rep in the writer's room with all that research, but like, say, like, say, for example, like somebody with 
chronic fatigue, like chronic fatigue or something, or like an undiagnosed physical health condition. Like, well, it shouldn't necessarily be like the focus of the story, you know, especially as women or as like AFAB folk, like seeing what people need to go through sometimes to get support they need, I think could also be very eye-opening. So I think in in terms of that, like, I think it's very important that to have authentic rep on screen that you don't gloss over those trials and tribulations that people do go through that able-bodied people might not be aware of. But, but at the same time, it can become kind of like, I guess like myopic or insular where you don't just want to make it about that. And I think just having it be part of somebody's life, like I think it really does help to normalize it as long as we like portray it in a way that does not minimize their experience, if that makes sense. Or kind yeah. of like gloss, gloss over the bad to still make it like PR worthy. Or, or like, an, yeah, like another one that kind of comes to mind, like the show, The Good Doctor. I, I believe that's mm-hmm. the one where he's, I think, yeah, he's on the autism spectrum. Yes, I forget that actor's name, but he's really good. He has done quite a few um, few roles that I, I think he just does phenomenally in. Okay, so finally, how can the film and TV industry continue to improve when it comes to representing people like us? I'm, I'm going to say just put goddamn money into disabled art projects <laughs> and and hire more disabled people. Like, that's something I've kind of noticed too, just in my own journey. And I'm, I'm just going to say it because I've noticed it. Things like the arts councils, are still incredibly ableist in terms of even like your application process. And even though, you know, they give some money for disability support, kind of waving my hands in air quotes again here, uh, like they still tend to give money to the people that have had more privilege. So people that have been able-bodied, people that have, you know, been able to successfully do film school that maybe already had access to professional opportunities, professional types of media, you know, tools, equipment, support that people that would be disabled would probably have a hard time access. So like there's still, there's still a system of inequality and imbalance that I think really needs to be disabled. Part, pardon the pun, like in terms of like <laughs> system. Thanks brain. <laughs> that honestly sounds like a social media campaign. It, it like, That's actually a great idea. It, yeah, I feel like that, that we should make that a thing. Um, Disable the ableism? <laughs> yes, I 100% think we should. Can we make that hashtag when we yes, post this, this video? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. When we post this video, you're going to see, everybody's going to see this right now across our screen. Disable the ableism is going to come. That's what it was, right? I love it. Yes, I'm going to use I, that I, on like everything I post now. Awesome. You guys who came up with this, you're, you're smarter than I am. Uh, yeah, Sam, what do you think, what do you think, where do you think improvements could be made in the industry? Oh God, so many places. Um, but that's every industry. Like you, there's so many things that have to change. Um, even the application process for regular jobs for any job, really. Um, I think something I've started saying just in my, my job, cause I come across, um, I work for a charity that serves the blind and low vision community. And a lot of the times places will come to us and say, Hey, we've, you know, made our product accessible. Um, will you look it over and get people like, you know, the community's opinion on it. And to me, that's the first problem because you are coming to me and the community after you've made a product, not before it needs to be from inception. It needs to be from the very beginning. Um, and a lot of the time people just want a pat on the back at that point, because they're like, Oh, I'm confident that I've made this accessible. 
I want to show people and spread the word and hear about what a great job I've done. But really, if you wanted to make it accessible, you would have thought of that much earlier. Or I'm not, I don't even want to relate it to, to a matter of want, but if you had given it more thought, you would have come to us much sooner. Um, and I think the, what I've started to sort of say to people when they ask, like, what, what can we do? I don't want you to want to make the change. I just want you to make the change. I, I'm tired of people saying like, I, I want to make this inclusive or I want to, you know, make this accessible or blah, blah, blah. I'm, I'm at the point where I'm beyond what your wants are. I just want you to, I want you to make it happen. I, I, I spend my entire childhood listening to like, oh, let's get the ball rolling. Let's get this started. Let's move forward. Blah, blah, blah. And as a person with a disability, I'm over it. I just, I, I want to see action. I, I want to see you make the change. That's, that's what I think. I, the want is great. Yes. The want is lovely. Of course, I'm not saying like, I don't want anyone to desire to make change. I'm not saying that. I just think it's, it's time to get past the desire and, and actually move, do something about it. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, I was going to say move forward. And I was like, no, that's another BS term. That it's, I yeah. It's, it's, I don't want to yeah. hear. It's, it's a planning Actually. to do something versus the actually physically just doing it. Exactly. Yeah. Or instead right. of like expecting the people with a disability to always tell you what they need and ask specifically for it, like start to anticipate. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you both so much for this very insightful discussion today. This was excellent. And thank you for helping me out because I'm not very knowledgeable about film and TV. So I'm glad to have two experts here on the panel. Uh, one last thing, Emily, where can we find some of your work? Oh uh, yeah. So I'm patreon.com slash Emily Schooley. Uh, people can pledge there any, any dollar amount. They can see what I'm up to. I post behind the scenes photos. I talk about some of the series and projects that I have in development. Uh, I will give you guys a little spoiler. Um, right now I'm developing a magical girl series with one explicitly physically disabled character as a lead character, uh, one non-binary character as a lead character and bringing like a lot of like queer lady rep to screen in various forms. So it's very early development. Essentially the series is about a group of former magical girls who are now in the thirties and forties and they have to come back together with their new lived experiences, their identities, uh, work through some of their interpersonal shit and save the world again. So. All right. Well, we will be sure to check that out. In the meantime, don't forget to click to subscribe to our channel and check out all our past videos and episodes uh, on our channel. We've got plenty of stuff and we've got plenty more coming out. So thank you, Emily. Thank you, Sam, for joining us today. And uh, this has been another episode of What's the Difference podcast. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to What's the Difference podcast. For the video versions of all our episodes, please visit our YouTube channel and don't forget to subscribe to help us get our custom URL. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, visit us on social or connect with us at what's the difference podcast at gmail.com.